I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I watched the first four episodes of the new HBO docuseries, Black and Missing, and I want to talk about it. But first, um, this episode, the airing date of this episode is the day after World AIDS Awareness Day. Um, and hopefully you did something to spread your, the in, good information about how you can um, contract HIV and AIDS and um, how you can support a person who... Um, is living with HIV and AIDS and, and educate yourself, better educate yourself on what life um, looks like for a person who's, who's living with HIV and AIDS. Um, and yeah, but it's, you know, you can never spread enough information, a good information, well-researched information. You can never share that enough because every day there's a person who doesn't know something that that could save their life every day there is a is a new teenager whose parents have not told them um who've not had a conversation about um sex or the ways to protect themselves should they want to engage in sex every day there is a 20 something year old who is or an 18 year old who's going who's who's branching out for the first time on their own without very, without much knowledge at all about how to be safe, um, engage in sex in a safe way, um, and the dangers of not engaging in sex in a safe way. Every day there is a person who is essentially playing chicken with their health by engaging in risky um, sexual activity and before it sounds too much like I'm shaming folks for what they're into. I'm not saying that you can't be kinky. I'm not saying that you can't be adventurous. What I am saying is that we know risky sexual behavior is having unprotected sex and having unprotected sex. That's risky. And with multiple partners too, that's even riskier because you have no idea how many unpro- how many times that the person that you are engaging in sexual intercourse with has had unprotected sex with someone else that's risky that's that risky part it's not shaming anyone for penetrative uh, for having penetrative sex with uh, multiple folks it's unprotected is what we're talking about here and I probably should have put a disclaimer because I came in hot right I came in hot talking about sex right um and so yeah I will make sure that this is marked um because it's important um if you've been listening to the show for any length of time you know that I have someone who's in my circle who's living with HIV um and I I think every February, because in, in the United States, in uh, February 7th is Black HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. Um, but to, the, the day yesterday, by the time you're, this is recording, um, December 1st, I'll just say that December 1st is World AIDS Awareness Day. Um, but we do need to have these specific days because different communities are impacted differently. We know different countries were devastated differently or just some were just ravaged 
Um, later, what we know is that the African continent and all the countries that are represented therein had a huge struggle in the early to middle 90s supporting their community to um, engage in, in uh, to supporting their community to get a hold of this um, epidemic, right? And, and globally speaking, we already, we know, it, I think it's well known, but just in case it's not, in case this is new information to you, in the late 70s, but definitely, well, no, the 80s and the early 90s was completely devastating globally. Um, in the United States, it feels like it was, wow, overwhelming. But I wasn't cognizant. I mean, I was a cognizant, but I don't think we, I, I wasn't old enough or I wasn't deemed old enough to understand the conversation around HIV and AIDS in the early 90s. I certainly was not aware in the 80s. I'm an 80s baby, but I certainly wasn't aware because I was too, I was a baby baby, like for real. In the 90s, though, when I was creeping, oh, I wasn't a teenager, but I was an early preteen, there still wasn't any education about that. And then when I became a teen in the, in the late 90s, I, I was learning, I was figuring this thing out on my own. Yes, I had a sex ed uh, class where they were teaching you how to um, you wear a condom, um, and teaching you about what happens during intercourse and between a, um, during intercourse and then pregnancy, although or what happens in pregnancy, although I did not walk around with um, a pretend baby. Um, but it still did not the conversation was not in depth. Like I, we did not talk about um, sexually transmitted diseases or illnesses at any length. We didn't. We, we glo- it was like a gloss over, right? Um, kind of like how we were glossed over civil rights. <laughs> and the unit on civil rights, we glossed over, um, you know, the, the ways in which the harms for engaging, the, the harms that, that, could, that you could walk into or that could happen to you or whatever. Um, if you engage in risky behavior, no, we never really talked deeply about that. Um, and they certainly didn't pass out condoms at school because how dare they that we're teaching abstinence here, which because abstinence works so well for people who you're forcing it on right? Abstinence only works for a person who wants to abstain, not a person who wants to explore, right? Because again, this is all personal choice, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. Um, But today I just want to remind you that again, engaging in unprotected sex is the number one way, the number one, well, no, it's not the number one way. It's a really, it's a really high chance that you are opening up yourself, you are making yourself more susceptible to exposure to HIV and AIDS if you are having unprotected sex. Unprotective, penetrative sex. You're opening yourself, and actually, you're opening yourself up, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You open up, you're, you're opening yourself up. No puns. I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. Um... And you also know that 
the other ways in which you can contract HIV um, is generally engaging in risky behavior. So intravenous drug use, um, if you're sharing, if you're sharing needles, that is a, that is a, a way that can really expose you to, um, HIV and AIDS. Um, if a person, a, a person who is a mother, um, and can breastfeed, can pass it on through their breast milk. I don't think people are aware of all the different ways. It, I don't think people get it. I don't think people, well, maybe they do, they do get it, but they don't think about it. And certainly young people, because we don't have the conversation, they're not even exposed to the information, so they don't even know what they're not getting. And so I just wanted to take a second since there's no time like the present. Educate yourself. There are a myriad websites out there, no matter where you're from. Again, a lot of the folks that listen to the show are, are in the UK and predominantly in the United States and in the UK. Well, you both and, and any other country, there are some other countries that are represented too. All of your state departments have websites health websites. I don't know whatever you call it, it's your health website, your national health website, where we'll have information about HIV and AIDS and all the very specific statistics surrounding it. Um, also the treatments, that, well, I don't know that they're talking about the treatments and the, and the, um, the treatments for it, but what we know is that even, so, so we talked about how you could, and it's engaging in risky behavior, unprotected sex and intravenous drug use. Um, and then we also, if you if you weren't exposed to it before, those are the main ways. Um, we also know that if you do have um, HIV and AIDS, you can uh, uh, a person who's, um, who's who can give birth can pass it on to their child through breast milk. So it's very important that you are aware of your health status as, as supremely early as possible because there are ways to protect the child. But you got to know what's happening. Right. You got to you got to be you. You got to be you got to partner with your healthcare professional anyway. But setting that aside, what we know is that if a person is living with HIV and AIDS, we know it's not the death sentence that it used to be because medical advances have just grown leaps and bounds from when, at the height of the epidemic in the late 80s, early 90s across the globe. Right. But still, we still need to talk about and debunk and remove the stigma about a person living with HIV and AIDS. As I said, my friend, I don't believe that they take any medication. They used to take medication um, initially when they were initially diagnosed, but due to, due to, um, I mean, they changed their diet. They began exercising more. And for them, they did not have to take a medication as long as they kept checking in, and they still do unto this day, um, check in with their doctor, their partnering with the doctor. Just as an aside, we should all be partnering with our primary care phys- physicians. If you don't have a primary care physician, you should get one because you're not invincible, dear. Anyway, but um, they've been partnering with their um with their primary care professional. Um, and actually forget I said anything about medications. I don't know all the details because it's not my business, right? The only thing that was my business is what my friend told me, which was that they were living with HIV and they needed support. And when they told me, the first thing that I remember thinking is, 
I got to do everything possible to let them know, to honor, to honor the sacrifice. Because what I know about this person is that they are very private and they always have been and they always will be. Now they always say slick stuff. They're super funny, say slick stuff all the time, but they're very private. And so when they share information with you, you better count yourself among the fortunate because they don't do that with a lot of folks. And I find myself, I'm very similar in a lot of ways. I tell you a whole lot of information and you can still walk away not knowing a whole lot about me, but a whole, but that one thing that I'm telling you, oh, you know everything about that one thing I'm telling you, but there's so much more to me because baby, I'm not going to give all of myself to someone who hasn't, who isn't invested. That's just not how I'm built. And so I honor that in other people. And my particular friend, he's like that. They're like that. And so, yeah, when they told me, um, when they told me, I, I just went into, I got you mode. What's up? What you need? You need a shoulder to cry on? Let me know. Do you, you, you know, you need me to talk you through something? Let me know. Tell me how you want me to be and I'll do it because I know this was hard for you, which lets me, which also lets me know that this is, you told me because it's hard for you. And I also know that it's kind of weighing you down. And so let's let us walk, kind of walk through this. And so my friend, my friend has been living with HIV for a decade, maybe a decade, at least a decade. Um, still doing well, having relationships. I like to be a fly on a wall and, and figure out how they navigate the conversation because again, there are still plenty of ignorant people out here. Um, <clears throat> who look at folks who contract HIV and AIDS as somehow tainted in some way. And so I am curious how they have the conversation, but I know that that person, that's a piece of that person's story. That is not that person's whole story. Like I said, they're super healthy. They're just annoying to me right now because they're annoying, but I love them because they, they got a smart mouth. But anyway, um, no, so it's not the death sentence that it used to be. Just because you've contracted um, HIV does not mean that it will automatically um, turn into AIDS. That's not how it works. There are a number of different factors that come into play. And what we know is that there are medications that can help suppress that progression, right? And even if you do are living with AIDS, again, it's not the death sentence that it used to be. There are medications that are out here that can help slow the progression of it, that as long as you are, again, partnering with your healthcare professional, partnering with your healthcare professional, you are taking medication as prescribed and you are um, engaging in a healthy lifestyle. It's like with anything else, but we do still need to talk about it because this, this illness and the lack of access, because at the end of the day, the main issue was there wasn't a treatment and they, and even, even the, the, what was it, AZT that they were giving to folks that um, was prolonging a person's lifespan, that wasn't accessible to everyone. So this whole thing comes down to better education and better access, better education and better access to information, treatment and care. But isn't that the way? Isn't access 
education and access and education isn't that like the root of a lot of our global problems poverty uh education i don't know about the education part but well no education as in as it relates to enabling a person to be able education and access yes it is education and access education and access is like the root of a lot of global problems. And so info campaigns like World AIDS Awareness Day is so crucial. It's so crucial because why there are medica- there are commercials about advances in the medication treating a person who's uh, living with HIV or AIDS. Not everybody, even in the United States, has access to those things for a myriad reasons, mostly poverty secondary to racism and lack of access due to structural racism. A global experience. It's not unique to the United States. It's a global experience. So anyway, um, it's important that you are educating the young people in your life if you're a young person yourself, which again, according to my data, some young people are listening. Some of you 18, some of you um hovering around 18 or listening and I'm interested as to why you are but anyway please educate yourself if you don't leave it on your school to do all your educating please go to vetted resources vetted what am I saying what is vetted that's that's that means that there's been some that it's not just Joe Blow off the street that just said trust me I know this to be true it's and it's it, I'm talking about you're reading medical journals, uh, anything that for the most part, anything that your health department, your local, your local health department and your national health departments, not even for the most part, because uh, what I guess what I'm saying is what we know is when COVID-19 rolled around, it was so new and hit a lot of our health communities so off guard that they were just saying a bunch of different things to try not to scare the public, but then also to try to protect the public as best as possible while they were figuring out the cures, right? You got to separate the two. Don't be, don't be uh, dense. That was a, let's figure this thing out. Let's build the plane as we fly in it sort of thing, right? Which is not the best way to practice medicine, but sometimes you don't have a choice. We're not doing that when it comes to HIV and AIDS and sexually transmitted um, illnesses. We're not, that's, we're not flying the plane as we're building it anymore. That's what they were doing in the 90s. In the late 80s and early 90s, that's what they were doing. We're not there anymore. The plane is built, taking many trips, honey. Many, 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 many trips, honey. So you don't have to question this science. There's nothing to question here. But if you want to get other sources, you're absolutely welcome to do that. But you don't go off. You don't just pick the first entry on Google and use that as fact, baby. You got to vet it with other sources, other reputable sources who will share their credentials with you. And you can research those credentials yourself, not just somebody saying I'm a... Anyway, you understand, you get the idea that just because somebody said, trust me, does not mean that you should. But at the same time, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Do your, when you, when when I'm saying do your research, I literally mean actually do your research using other medical journals, 
um, testing the information against other medical journals and things like that to make sure that the information is consistent. And that's what a lot of, we're just not doing that, which is why unfortunately we're still seeing a lot of folks who are making poor choices for their own health. Anyway, but I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm just taking this moment to talk about HIV and AIDS awareness, um, giving you an opportunity to find more information about it on your own. Um, if you search on any, any social media platform, hashtag World AIDS Day 2021, you'll see all the posts, all the good information coming up on Twitter, on um Instagram, on uh, TikTok, on all the places, all the good information will come up if you do hashtag World AIDS Awareness Day 2021. Um, You'll be good to go. But shifting gears really quickly um, away from that, the two days ago from the release date, um, actually, okay, so on November 30th, we learned that uh, Rihanna was awarded given a national hero hero award by her native country of Barbados. Um, and in, in the ceremony where it was clear she was super proud, um, it was on the same day, I do believe, that, um, oh, don't get me to lying. Ooh, don't get me to lying. But did Barbados declare that their separation from the UK, that the queen was no longer their... Um, recognized head of state anymore. You guys know how imperialism works that the United, that, uh, the United Kingdom um, colonized a bunch of places across the globe, including some of the, the islands in the, uh, the Caribbean, and Barbados was one of them. Jamaica was one at one time too. Um, and anyway, Google all of that, but many of them in the last two decades um, have declared their independence or are disassociated, divested from Great Britain and the Queen and the monarchy. I'm not, don't get me to lying totally, but what I know is that they are rejecting the British Queen as their head of state. Um, and Barbados is one of those uh, countries. And I'm not 100% sure if they did it the same day that if they declared that she was no longer the, their, their head of state. The same, and I'm talking about Queen Elizabeth uh, of England. Um, I don't know if that happened, that declaration happened um, the same day as uh, Rihanna was given this high honor, but there was a lot of talk about it all over my socials. And shame on me for not looking more into that. That's, that's all on me. Um, but you don't have to be like me. You can be better than me. Um, but there was a lot of talk about that. More specifically, there was a lot of talk about the Queen's celebration message for their... She sent a celebration message. So it had to be. It feels like it was their uh, Barbados's Independence Day. Um, anyway, the Queen Elizabeth acknowledged that their day on November 30th. And, and one of the things that they said was, she said uh, something about friendship. Somehow in her statement, the sentiment was very, um, you know, I'm just so proud to have been um, basically 
how can I put this? Basically, I'm, I'm so proud to have um, our country's, oh, continued friendship was a phrase that was in her message. Something about continued friendship um, over the years, friendship and support or something like to that nature over the years. And the reason, the only reason why I even heard her comment in reference and, and was one, I was already paying attention to Barbados because of Rihanna and this great honor that was bestowed upon her from the prime minister. But, um, also because Barbadians, I think that's how you say it, Barbadians, um, were frustrated because of the choice of language that the queen used, saying that they had been friends essentially all these years, when in actuality it was servitude. They, you, had, you are an imperialist, you represent an imperialist monarchy and country that uh, colonized Barbados. We weren't, y'all weren't friends. You were the oppressor in our Barbados. And to use terms like we've been friends all these years is a little bit weird without acknowledging the fact that before you decided we were friends, y'all was friends, you were the colonizer, you were the oppressor, you were the overseer in, the, in that relationship. There, there wasn't a relationship there. You were the owner, that's what it was. And so to not acknowledge that in her statement Mind you, she didn't write that. She agreed to and she read it, but she didn't write that. It goes, it goes back to, in a lot of folks' mind, it goes back to that, that um, monarchy's denial of their hand in colonize, and, 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 and yeah, their hand in colonization around the globe. Certainly all the, the terrible practices that came with colonization. Um, colonization itself is, is inherently evil. Um, and so, yeah, so anyway, it's just interesting that, and, and I actually saw, a, a, her words were transposed over a very nice picture of her. And I guess that's to symbolize what she had sent to the prime minister of Barbados. I don't really know, but it's just interesting how, uh, Barbadians were lighting her up, um, the other day about those whack comments that don't acknowledge the true nature of their relationship all these years anyway. But the other thing that, that bubbled up lately that I did not realize was that it, it had everything to do with Rihanna and, and accepting um, this coveted award. Like it's like the, it's the equivalent of winning a, a presidential freedom award or something like that when it actually meant something not in the Trump administration but like every other administration when like for real meant something anyway um and anyway so she's she's going up and she's you know she's wearing this beautiful kind of rust colored dress and Rihanna is looking thicker okay thicker than a bowl of grits in this outfit um, but she looks so doggone beautiful. So, but she looking, cause it's a silk something or other. And anyway, she's looking like a thicker than a bowl of grits. Anyway, I mean, and now mind you, thick for a small, thick in a rel- is a relative term. Anyway, she, she looking like she filling out the dress is my point. Anyway, and she's looking regal and cute and all of that, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm thinking, girl, she looking in a, it, literally, that's where my commentary stopped. Girl, you thicker than a bowl of grits. Ow, you doing it. Ow, look beautiful. And then the woman who was giving her the actual, like she greeted who I thought was the prime minister. It's like she did a curtsy or some junk. And, and, and the woman was sitting in this chair looking all majestic. And she greeted her. And then another woman who was off to the side. It's like the whom I believe is the prime minister or some very fancy person was sitting in a chair looking all regal. And then Rihanna greets her and then goes stands to this person's right. And while Rihanna is perched on the right of this person sitting in this fancy chair, there is another woman off the stage just further off to the right who is talking into a mic and, and saying all these flowy words and, and giving all, you know, giving all the stuff and then presenting her with the, um, National Hero Award. Anyway, so this whole thing happens. I'm like, again, my commentary stops. Rihanna looking thicker than a bowl of grits and then cut. Cool. And I started learning. That's and I think after I made that commentary, I started reading through the comments because I think I was on TikTok or was I on Twitter? Can't call it. Anyway, um, but I was listening to the reading the comment commentary. And that's when I heard that or I learned that the honor is the equivalent of a presidential medal of freedom. It's like a big deal anyway, or United States presidential medal of freedom. It's a big deal anyway. Um, and then maybe I don't know, maybe like four or five hours go by. And then all of a sudden I start seeing things saying Brianna is pregnant. She not. That's not, but see, some of y'all, let me, I'm, let me know. I'm not, I don't know this woman's reproductive history. What I know is that people are always saying she's pregnant. What I know is that they're always saying that women, uh, celebrities are pregnant when they gain weight. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes they're not. I can remember what, this is what we know about pregnancy. In the first trimester, you're sick as all get out. Most of the time, the common thing that happens to a lot of women is they're sick as a dog but they're not gaining any weight. You don't actually start showing, I think, until the end of the second trimester, beginning of the third. So, and when I'm saying showing, I'm saying the bump. And when somebody, there's a difference. You know when somebody, you know when you see a pregnancy bump because it looks different. A pregnancy bump is concentrated for the most part. And then, bam, it gets even bigger, right? It's the, a pregnancy bump is unmistakable, but it seems like every time a star gains a, a little weight because our bodies are organic and unless we're starving ourselves all the time and always exercising, baby, as you get older, guess what happens? Let me let you in on a secret. Let me let you in, let me put you down on something. When you age, it is harder to maintain your weight than it was when you were a teenager for many people. Unless you are a primo athlete, and even then, you have to work ridiculously hard. Why? Because your body is just doing other stuff right now. They're just doing other, it's doing other things. And so when you hit 30, it's, it's happening. Your body is changing. 
Rihanna is over 30 at this point. Things happen. I'm not, listen, baby, unless you are like exercising like a maniac or unless your metabolism is just super high, because that does happen. Like, baby, if you are regular like everybody else, baby, you gonna gain weight because it's natural. It's natural, boo-boo. How old is Rihanna? Hold on, I need to... Because I wanted to make a point here. And and before, before you get to thinking that it's just women, oh, let's be for real, honey. It's literally everybody. Barbadian, I was saying it right. Oh, and her new title, by the way, in case you were wondering, Rihanna, before I start even entertaining all this other thing, other stuff, her official title is the Right Excellent. Right Excellent Robin Rihanna Fenty. I'm going to need you to get it right. I'm going to need you to get into it. She's 33, y'all. Don't be dumb. Oh, let me not use ableist language. Let, don't, don't, don't be weird. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Do do not do that to yourself. She's 33 years old. It's called aging. Get into it. I know you like to follow a whole bunch of people who do a lot of plastic surgery um, to make sure that that in anti other anti-aging practices to make sure that you don't know how how old they actually are. But she's just getting older, baby. Now, if she does come out to say that um, to announce her pregnancy. Here's the thing. I still, no, I still don't think, I don't, I just don't think she is because judging by that photo that all of y'all are tripping over, she just gained some weight and you're going to have to deal. She's wearing next to nothing. She's literally wearing a silk rag over her body. Oh, she pregnant. She looking a little pregnant. That's not how a pregnancy belly looked to me. That her belly does not look like a pregnancy belly. You know what it looks like? It looks like she's gained a little weight, but Rihanna is still super small. So get into it. She just thick it in a bowl of grits now. Whereas before she was just slim. She not slim. She's small and thick. Difference. And I'm I'm gonna stop talking about that woman's body because it's what like I just need us to 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 evolve and educate ourselves. Women's bodies change, or people who identify as women, they're everybody, actually, not even just women. People's bodies change as they age, honey, and she's 33. She's 33. I don't know too many 33-year-olds that look the way they did when they were 23. That's not how life works. I know some 33-year-olds that look like they're 43 because that's, they're not living right. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about everyday, regular people. You're, you age, baby. And the part of the aging process, it's a, little bit, you, it's a little bit harder to lose those pounds. You have to work a little bit harder to lose pounds, especially women because of our hormones and everything. So you have to work just a little bit harder. Anyway, but y'all better stop. Anyway, um, but it just goes to show you that, like, people be bored. But especially around Rihanna, who y'all still mad she hasn't given you an album in 10 years, but that's your business. That's not mine. I'm just enjoying Rihanna. I did not like Rihanna for a long time because I'm just naturally an anti-person. If everybody else loves them, I automatically think you got to impress me. But the reality of it is, as I'm paying attention to her as a personality, yes, she does make missteps. Let's be clear. She is a regular human being. 
But I'm enjoying her as much as I'm enjoying Beyonce, who's also a regular human being who makes mistakes. And you should not take all of their words as gospel. But like, don't come for me Um, anyway. But no, it's true. We're human and we say dumb things sometimes and we do dumb things sometimes. But one thing about Rihanna and one thing I had to give it up is after after that horrific um, domestic violence incident with or the one that we knew about with Chris Brown, I ain't never been the same uh, about her. I think that's when I started to renew my mind about her and I'm, I'm frustrated that that happened, but at the same time, I also started to renew my mind about Beyonce when uh, Lemonade came out because it was like, oh shoot, Beyonce been going through it. And I guess, I guess the thing about it is when that veneer, that perfect veneer falls, you can actually see the person. And these are people that I should have always been rooting for. It's just, I was not allowed to, I didn't allow myself and I wasn't allowed to because I wasn't allowed to see who they really were. Which is hard to do, to be open and vulnerable and still remain on the top if you're a star, which is why a lot of people don't do it until they're already at the top. But um, in the case of Robin, she didn't really have a choice. That just kind of came out. And then we saw her make mistakes and we saw her be human and we saw her go through the natural ebb and flow that people who are abused go through with their abuser. And I never want anybody to lose sight of that. People who are abused often go back to their abuser because there is a thing called trauma bonding. There is a thing Even if you don't want to put it in those terms, there is a thing called, you know what? The devil I know is better than the devil I don't because we trick ourselves into thinking, well, at least I know their foolishness. But like, it's like the worst version of that, right? Especially when you're living with an abuser. It's like the worst version of it. Anyway, um, and it's just interesting, but it kind of leads into, talking about that just kind of leads into the overall conversation that I want to talk about today, which is definitely going to be heavy. I mean, I started this thing out kind of raw, right? Talking about um, all the, you know, unprotected sex and and the dangers of having unprotected sex and other risky behavior. And I'm just launching in because I think we need to talk about a lot of these things. It's, we need to remove the stigma about talking about it. We, We need to save lives here. We need to be in the saving lives business. And I don't care who and how you engage in intercourse with as long as it's consensual and you're protected, you're safe. That's, that's all I care about. Consensual and safe. This conversation about, um, in this documentary, the um, missing, uh, Black and Missing, raises a whole, it's, it, the thing that I love about this documentary the most is it's not just about people who are missing, Black people who are missing. It is about cycles of abuse. It is about trauma. It is about poverty and how it leads some of our most vulnerable community members into traps of uh, human, in in, in trafficking, in in, just so many, and, and just being forgotten. There's a, one of the things that you need to know is that this documentary is all about, uh, I can't remember if I said this or not, but this documentary is all about a um, nonprofit based in Hyattsville, Hyattsville, Maryland, which is a DC suburb, 
um, about a 45 minutes, 45 minutes from Baltimore. But they help these two black, it was led by two black women. But these two black women partner with so many different organizations whose goal is to try to amplify the voices of the voiceless to get every kid home, every vulnerable person home if they can. If not at the very, and, 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 and unfortunately, whatever that means. And I'll get into that in a second. So this episode is already pretty raw. Um, if you want to keep it light, you might want to just skip this episode and go listen to something else that I've done um, this year or in the years past. I've, I've done plenty of lighthearted and fun episodes before, but this isn't going to be one of them. Um, clearly, because I started off hot and I'm just, I'm going to keep the party going. Um, but today, um, in this, in this next segment, I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about the individual, all of the individual cases that these two women are talk, are, are dealing with, but I am going to have a larger conversation about their organization, what they're doing, and certainly um, just human trafficking and just Ooh, things to look out for because I, I've done this some episodes before and, and many of you know, um, I'm a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated and I think all of the um, nine historically black organizations um, bring awareness to human trafficking because our girls, and when I'm saying our girls, I'm, or our kids, because it's not just girls, our kids um, are impacted substantially at higher rates than a lot of other kids in community only it's it's black and brown if i'm honest it's black and brown kids who are impacted greatly also immigrant kids from any country also for different reasons too and i've talked about that in um one of my episodes where i talked about human trafficking um especially on the 95 corridor i'll Say that you can go back and listen to that if you want to. Um, in addition to listening to that, this will be kind of a nice little companion to that episode. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm going to bring attention to this conversation because I feel like it needs to be talked about every single year um, and all the time. But I'm energized by this documentary, at least the first four episodes of this documentary, because what we see in this thing are triumphs and we also see heartbreak. And there are myriad reasons why those circumstances end the way that they do. And a lot of it, one thing that I will say, and then I will just leave it for the break, is that for black and brown families who are trying to find their loved ones, half the time it is because of the sheer will and determination of their own loved one is the reason why they're found, is the reason why... um, um, there's even attention drawn to them, not because of a government agency or an entity, but li- or a representative of the, your local government or entity, but literally because somebody in the family from the person who's missing said, what you won't do is forget about my baby. What you won't do is forget about my loved one. You gonna see too with it. We gonna find some answers here. We gonna get our loved one and we gonna get some justice. And so with that, I will take a break and then I will come back and I'll talk all about the um, Black and Missing, HBO's new docuseries, Black and Missing.
Okay. So Black and Missing is a docu-series, docu-mini-series. It's four episodes long um, that premiered. It either premiered just after Thanksgiving on the 28th or um, right before Thanksgiving. I can't call which, but I watched it after Thanksgiving um, and I binged it. I actually binged it on Sunday, so I don't really know when the heck this thing dropped. Or did I binge it on Tuesday, Monday? No, no, no. I binged it. I either binged. I can't remember what day. It was either Sunday or Monday. But anyway, I binged it. Had to have been Sunday, though. It was Sunday. It was Sunday. No, it wasn't. It could have been Monday. Anyway, I binged it over the Thanksgiving weekend is my point. Um, And it is, like I said, it was four episodes long and it essentially follows the creator not essentially it does follow the creators of if um <clears throat> black and missing foundation uh black and missing inc.com is the name of the um their website i'll put that in the show notes um but it follows the the founders of black and missing foundation derica and natalie wilson Um, And I'm reading the the synopsis here as they dive into specific cases and break down how systemic behaviors and attitudes stem from centuries of deeply rooted racism. So now let me go a step further. Um, Both Derricka and Natalie are in the DMV area. And let me just break down for a second what the DMV is for those for the uninitiated. DMV is an acronym that stands for D.C., Maryland and Virginia. What that literally means is not all of Maryland, not all of Virginia, but definitely DC, the District of Columbia, um, which resides inside the state of Maryland, but it's its own entity, as you know. Um, But it's not recognized it's its own state though, but anyway, um, it's its own entity. And then when there's a reference in DMV, when you're referencing Maryland and Virginia, the M and the V, you're really talking about the suburbs of DC. So it's Montgomery County, it's Prince George's County and all the cities that are in, when you're in Maryland, you, you typically say the county you're from, you don't say the city, unless you're in a city, like a major city, like DC, um, or Baltimore, like outside of that, you say the county where you're from. Um, well, some people say Bel Air, and in, in they're from Harford County. Um, but no, they typically say, you typically say what part? Like the Eastern Shore, Southern, I'm from Southern Maryland, so, so on and so forth. You don't say the city because quite frankly, people don't really know the cities, but you know the areas. That's what I picked up on in my 13 plus years at this point, living in Baltimore, um, living, in, living in Baltimore specifically, but also living in Maryland, that everybody just says this, the uh, county. Um, that they're residing in. Anyway, so, so when you, if you say you from the DC area, you're from the DMV, one thing is you're probably not from DC. You're probably claiming a a suburb. Um, and a suburb is a relative term because just because you're from a suburb does not mean that the living is easy and, and everything is great because it's Maryland. So it's not, it's not like that um, for a number of different socioeconomic and political reasons. It's not like that. Um, anyway, so when you say you're in the DMV, you're talking about 
D.C. or Prince George's County, Montgomery County, uh, for the most part, um, and then some counties in Virginia. Um, I don't really know the counties in Virginia, so I can, I'm only going to call, like, you know, Alexandria or um, Crystal City or something like that. Is that the mall or is that the city? I can never remember if Crystal City is the name of the mall only or if it's <laughs> the name of the city. I don't remember. But anyway, so just to, it's it's D.C. When you're when people are referencing D.C., they're talking about the District of Columbia and then the surrounding counties, a few a few suburban, for lack of a better term, counties in Maryland and in Virginia that are part of the metro area. Baltimore is not a part of the DMV, baby. It's not. Baltimore is Baltimore. And when you come here, you'll understand that. If you're from here, if you spend any significant time here, you'll understand very quickly Baltimore is not the DMV. Baltimore doesn't claim to be in the DMV. Everybody outside of Maryland and Virginia say that Baltimore is in the DMV because it makes sense, right? It's not super far. Because when you're talking about so, some of the, so DC or Maryland is about 45 minutes, or not Maryland, but um, Baltimore is about 45 minutes north of DC. Not true north, but you get the idea. North of DC. Um, and so for the most part, you would con- you would assume that it's not necessarily a part of the metro area, but like, feels like a part of the family, but no, it's like night and day. The cultures are different. Um, the socioeconomic impact is different. Power centers are different. The, what I will say is the poverty isn't different. Um, the inequity isn't different, but the cultures are different. Um, just, just far enough away to be completely different cities, completely different industries and all of that. Whereas DC is like a political hound for the most part. Lots of nonprofits. Baltimore is a whole lot of blue collar shipping. It's a shipping and um, a nonprofit entity. Like it's, it's a shipping nonprofit town. That's what it is. Nobody really thinks of Baltimore like that, but that's what it is. There's a ton. I've said this before. Um, if you're new to the show, you've not heard it, but if you have listened for any length of time, I've said this like a million times. Baltimore is the headquarters for a lot of major international nonprofits because it's an old city, regardless of the socioeconomic inequities that are here and and the disparities that are here. It is an old city on the East Coast by the water, which is why it's a major shipping port, major shipping port um, and a hub for a lot of nonprofits because proximity to it's it's. It's not in D.C. where you have to pay super high rents. It's not in Philly. It's not in New York, but it's not far away from those places either. You're literally right here on the pin line. You can be in New York if you take the bullet, not the bullet. What is it called? The um, Acela. If you take the Acela, you can be in New York in an hour. Mm, two hours. You can be in New York in two hours from Baltimore. So it's attractive. You can be in Philly in 30 minutes. Probably. I don't know if you, I don't know how long it takes. If it takes two hours to drive for Philly to drive to Philly and about an hour or so on the train, like the Amtrak, probably takes like 30 minutes on the Acela if the Acela went there. But I don't think it does. The Acela does go to D.C., which probably 20 minutes from Baltimore if, if you, it took off from here. But I don't think it takes off from Baltimore. 
I think they just say, girl, you better get on the mark and call it. But because um, even on the mark, it's like not very long at all. Maybe it's an hour. Actually, no, it can't be an hour because it's an hour. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, it's a convenient location. It has been for decades for a long time. So it makes sense, even though there's just economic disparities and a whole lot of inequity um, in the in the city between us in certain communities. Um, but anyway, totally different market. But getting back to Black and Missing Inc., Black and Missing Foundation Inc., um, they are a nonprofit that it, I think on their website or maybe it has people describe them. They say that they are a D.C. based um, nonprofit, but they're not in D.C. They're in the DMV. They're in Hyattsville. Hyattsville, I think, what county is that? Montgomery? Montgomery County? Hyattsville is in Montgomery County. It's a suburb of D.C. Um, yeah, it's like 40 minutes. And again, almost everything around here is like 40 minutes to get to because it just depends on how you get there. It depends on what you're taking to get there and the time, you know, the time you're leaving to get there for traffic. But I, um, I told you, all I'm a member of Sigma Gamer Sorority Incorporated. I mean, I'm also a president of my local chapter. And so for, um, for our area, um, which is essentially all the chapters in, in Maryland and parts of Virginia, um, for our little area, all of the presidents of the chapters meet on something like a quarterly basis. Um, and anyway, so we came together and we decided that we were going to one, like three, if you can imagine, that's a, that's a few chapters. It's a lot of chapters. And so what happens is a couple of chapters take turns hosting all of the presidents, um, on this quarterly basis, just so we can get together and, and, and vibe and, and kind of trade, uh, best practice tips and things like that as we're marching towards well just we would be doing this anyway but specifically because we're trying to navigate um operating our chapters as we're marching towards centennial which is its own animal but anyway i digress um so we but anyway we met this last meeting we met um before thanksgiving we met in hyattsville and i had never spent any significant time in hyattsville but hyattsville just feels like a it, it do feel like a suburb um but anyway it was real cute where we were meeting Anyway, but it was not D.C. In order to get into D.C., it was another 15 minutes to the east. So Maryland is really tiny. It's tiny in the grand scheme of things. You look at it on the the map of the United States, she's tiny. She's super tiny. But like congestion and the way the roads are set up, it takes a long time to get somewhere, depending on where, you know, where you're going, especially from Hinesville into the city. It's going to take you probably longer than it might anywhere else because of the congestion, because of the way the road plays. Anyway, but Hyattsville is not D.C. Hyattsville is a suburb of D.C., so it's in the DMV. So anyway, I just that that I've been here too long and that gets under my skin when people say it's a D.C. org or if something they say something is a Baltimore org and it's in Baltimore County. You know, Baltimore County surrounds Baltimore City. Baltimore City is its own independent city, its own jurisdiction. It's not in a county. It is a county. Baltimore City is. Baltimore County surrounds Baltimore City, which includes a ton of different other jurisdictions. But the main jurisdiction is the county of Baltimore. But if you live in Catonsville, you do you are not a Baltimore based 
person. You live in Catonsville. <laughs> You're from Baltimore County. But anyway, um, again, I've been here too long. For t- well, actually, no, because I'm from Kansas City. Okay. And let's be for real. If you're from a sub, actually, this is not specific to Baltimore at all. I don't even know why I'm tripping. It's not specific to Baltimore. It's not specific to the the DMV. If you, I've heard somebody from London, I've heard a Londoner say that people are, are, you know, claiming that they're from London and they're from Surrey. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But like, they're not from London because it's cool to, to, to rep the city the closest city because that's what people recognize. People don't recognize the, the smaller localities that are outside of the outskirts. But anyway, I'm digressing. I'm getting back to the, I'm getting back to the main point. Anyway, Hyattsville is a suburb of DC. It's not in DC. Hyattsville, where this foundation is, is located is in the DMV. Now that we've, I've spent 10 or 13 minutes uh, talking about that, or at least 10, talking about that. Let me hasten on. So this is a foundation that was started out of necessity, dear. Black and missing. The title says it speaks for itself. Well, we know what you know with your own eyes. If you are not from the United States, what you have seen on TV, the global TV, when you've been looking at the BBC World News or your, you know, even local news putting a spotlight on the United States, you, you see how it is that if ever there's a conversation about a missing person and it's like a big blow up, then usually the cases that reach your shores, unless you're intentionally digging for the information and, and it goes vice versa, I'm sure. But in the United States, what makes it across, what's typically sweeps across the country and goes global are the missing cases are the, the, the cases of missing white people, kids, adults, young adults first, actually, let's be for real, because we're real ages too. It's, it's kids and adults. Even when we're talking about white folks, you don't typically see a lot of international news media attention on missing um, elderly uh, white folks, not for real, unless it's like a huge thing. Uh, you don't typically see that. You don't typically see um, lots of news media attention unless it was super egregious, like Matthew Shepard or the Pulse nightclub shooting. Well, actually, Pulse nightclub was um, impacted everybody. But even in, in, in um, giving a platform to the missing cases of individuals, it tends to be um, young, pretty, for the most part, or what would be considered pretty, are attractive white people. And so missing and mur- uh, missing and uh, black and missing, that foundation was largely created to elevate the voices of the black and brown um, people who, who, who are missing for lack of a better phrase. And I'm gonna be careful about my language here because I don't want to use the wrong language, use the wrong terminology. Um, Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about are people who have fallen uh, victims to a crime and they need advocacy and they need somebody to be looking for them. Their their family needs somebody to be looking for them. Um, Outside of just them, they need the wheels of justice to be turning. 
But black and missing is, is just highlighting the fact that that's not all, that doesn't always happen. No one should be a victim of, um, no one should be, no one should be, no one should be kidnapped. No one should be taken against their will and mishandled or God forbid their life taken. But what they're saying is let's also bring attention to the fact that y'all don't really talk about all the missing, the missing black kids and black people and brown people um, that fall victims every day to a number of different things. And largely this documentary was highlighting the fact that human trafficking, human trafficking is by far the biggest monster um, in our country. And I've talked about this before. I've t- I definitely talked about this at least in 2019. I think I had an episode about human trafficking along 95. Um, and I brought attention to some of the stories that I've come across because 95 highway 95 stretches from Maine all the way down to Florida. And that's a long, that is the Eastern edge. That is the Eastern edge. I think it goes to Maine from Maine and go, it definitely goes all the way to Florida. I believe it starts in Maine, but that is the Eastern edge. That's the whole East coast. And that's a whole lot of States that are touched. And that's a whole lot of people were densely populated on the East coast and not a lot of spaces either are not a lot of space. So um, that's a whole lot of communities that are impacted. Um, oh, also, uh, let me let me just back up when I'm saying the United States, what it gets amplified is U.S. born, typically young and attractive, either kids or young adults who are relatively attractive. And it typically, typically is women who are um, who, whose cases are, uh, get a major platform. Um, it's not always, and, and a, uh, the documentary does a really good job of including John Walsh, who amplifies, who ampla, amplifies as many missing cases as possible because of the heartbreak that he, he and his wife experienced um, about his uh, son who was taken from a mall in Florida um, and was later found, um, had been brutalized. And he's made it his life mission. And this documentary does not bend over backwards to give John his propers, but they definitely do give him, give John and his, and his foundation his propers because John is one of the few that tries to amplify every voice, including black and brown voices, because that's his platform. Um, and even John has an opportunity to say it right out of his own mouth. This is wild. It doesn't matter what this child or this... All right, my recording device did that thing that it has been doing for a while and whatever, I'll deal with it. Um, But I think I made my point already about John Walsh and how he tries to amplify black and brown voices along with the voices of uh, white kids and and people who go missing because at the end of the day for him, it's about amplifying everyone's voice so that no one feels the way he felt Um, when no one was doing anything for to try to find his child because that was the, that the whole genesis of his organization was that when his kid went missing, there was no concerted organized effort to help find his kid. He literally had to go put up money. He had to go hustle to put up money and to organize a, a group of local yokel people who were not police officers to do the work that he thought the police should be doing. And that's when, you know, 
couple of, I don't even know the timeline, but ultimately we know how his story ended. It ended very tragically, but he turned that tragedy into something um, pretty profound. And the document, the docu-series touches on that, but they always turn right back and the emphasis is always put right back on missing black and missing uh, foundation Inc. Rightly so, because they're doing the Lord's work at the end of the day, they're really making sure, okay, cool. These uh, we're going to focus. It's not that we're going to be exclusive, but we're going to focus on these black and brown families who don't got it. They're not getting it from they they don't have it financially to do it on their own. And they're not getting the support and the amplification always that they need from the local police departments. It's just not happening. Why this is so significant that black and missing is founded or it's not founded, but it's um, headquartered in Hyattsville and DMV is because, as I mentioned, I, I, I can't even remember what I mentioned at this point, but if I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But I did, 2019, I did a, an episode over um, human trafficking um, along the 95 corridor, right? 95 corridor, I believe, stretches. Not, 95 corridor is literally Highway 95, I-95, Interstate 95. Rick Ross has rapped about it. A bunch of people have rapped about it from Boston, from D.C., uh, from D.C., from Baltimore, from Philly, from New York, uh, from the Carolinas for a reason. That literal highway runs the length, I believe, the entire length of the East Coast, which means that's a whole lot of people that are impacted or that touch 95 on a daily basis, depending on where you're at. Anyway, 95, because of that, and I shared, and I'll give you a little preview of what I shared, human trafficking, I'm not saying that it's easy. What I'm saying is, if you got a slick operation, which many of these folks do have a slick operation, it's easy to get somebody from New York to Baltimore in four hours. New York is a big city. Baltimore is a big city, but it's not a big city like New York. It's a different frequency. It, it's operating on a diff, completely different frequency. But it's easy to spirit somebody away from New York and put them in Baltimore, and nobody in New York being any of the wiser. They're you too busy looking around Baltimore, or you too busy looking around New York and uh, New Jersey trying to find the, the, that person when in actuality they've been down here in Baltimore the whole time. Better yet, if somebody in an operation, this is me just being hypothetical, but also not very different to what uh, human trafficking operations work like. If they feel like some heat is coming toward them, it's nothing for them to hop, on, hop in the truck or hop in whatever and take them down to one of the Carolinas. Because you're not going to take them to D.C. Or you could. You could take them to D.C. You could also take them to one of the Carolinas. And, and now, now we're, what, eight hours away from where they were and you got people, because that person was in the New York area, you got people looking around, in and around New York for a person that's already in the Carolinas. Better yet, let's just skip the Carolinas altogether. Let's get somebody from the Carolinas, too. Let's, let's uh, traffic somebody from the Carolinas and spear them down to Florida. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people, what we know is that a lot of human trafficking organizations along 95, they don't, it's not that they all end in Florida, but a lot of people from New York, are spirited away from New York, Philly, Baltimore, even Delaware, 
and shipped down to uh, Florida, even from the Carolinas, shipped down to Florida for um, to be a part of human trafficking. I also mentioned in that episode that there are different forms of human trafficking. It's not always um, sex related, although sex work, forced sex work is a huge part of that. And certainly missing uh, black and missing talks about talks about that. They absolutely do. Um, there are different elements to human trafficking that don't always include forced sex work. So go back to that episode. I swear it was in 2019. And I think it was, it was, um, oh, I don't even remember the episode name. It was like something, human, tra- half, human trafficking along 95, something like that. Um, it was, it was an August episode. It was definitely an August episode. It was right around um, our wedding anniversary, which is the 17th of August. So it was like, an, it was an August episode. It had to have been 2019. If it wasn't 2019, the summer of 2019, it was August of 2018, at least either the eight, 2018 or 2019, but it feels like 2019. Um, but anyway, go find that because I share some interesting stories that I've come across that are actually kind of heartbreaking at the same time, even though some of them, the one in particular that I tell ends well, um, it, definitely started out like a nightmare and could have been a nightmare. Um, but it, it ends, it ends on a positive note. So go listen to that. Um, but anyway, this episode, this series, the thing that I like about it so much is that specifically Baltimore, DC and Baltimore are, have huge concentrations of black folks. And I don't think people know that maybe do, maybe some, maybe people know that, that are outside of the country, but I can remember growing up and knowing that Baltimore was a predominantly black city, knowing that they called Baltimore, uh, they called D.C. Chocolate City because of the large number of black folks in it. Now, today, D.C. isn't so much Chocolate City anymore, I don't think. I think at one time it was like 60 percent black or something like that. It's not. I think it's more like 40 something percent black in Baltimore. Even even Baltimore is a little less chocolate than it was before, but it's still a pretty um, heavily populated black and brown community. It's still a predominantly black city. Baltimore is still a predominantly black city. DC is not, I don't believe, um, anymore. But both of those, both of these cities still have cities and their outlying suburbs, the Baltimore suburbs. Um, (coughs) well, I will say this, the, the closest cities to Baltimore, the, the, not all of the Baltimore suburbs, but I'd say Catonsville, Owings Mills, not really Towson, um, Catonsville, Owings Mills, um, not Essex, not Dundalk, um, not Hailthorpe, not Arbutus, although Hailthorpe and Arbutus, actually Hailthorpe and Arbutus, Hailthorpe, Arbutus, and Essex have huge brown populations. Um, Catonsville, Owings Mill, that's a huge black, those are big black populations. Windsor Mill, big black population. Um, but Baltimore County as a whole is not predominantly black. It's and black and brown is predominantly white. Um, mostly because of the, cent- no, no, mostly because of Towson and above Towson. Um, if you're looking at Maryland on a map, if you're specifically looking in <clears throat> Baltimore and Baltimore County, on a map, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But those cities that I just described, um, Arbutus, Hailthorpe, Arbutus, 
a little bit of Dundalk um, and Essex are predominantly brown, Latinx, Latine, um, and for the most part, eh, it's probably not quite 50, 50 it's probably predominant, just, just a hair above predominantly uh, brown. Um, maybe not Essex, maybe not Essex. Okay, take Essex out of there. Maybe take Essex and Dundalk out of there. We're, we're really just talking about uh, Southwest Baltimore County, and we're really just talking about Hailthorpe and Arbutus. Um, and Highland Town, is Highland Town Baltimore City? Anyway, I'm getting distracted. But anyway, there are some communities in Baltimore County that are predominantly brown, but not significant enough to make the county predominantly brown. And there are a couple of communities, uh, cities that are predominantly black, but not enough to make it predominantly black or brown. It's just Baltimore County. Baltimore City, on the other hand, is still very much predominantly black and brown um, for the, the communities, the, the neighborhoods that are around the city. That's, that's not going to change, but the, it's le- a little less black and, black and brown than it might have been a decade ago. And so the significance of the Black and Missing Foundation being headquartered in DMV is because they're, in addition to amplifying black and brown voices of the missing and their families across the country, they're really paying attention and ha- amplifying the voices of those families in DMV and Baltimore. And baby, the stories that they focus on. What I like about this documentary is that it kind of shows a, a full picture of the lives of um, uh, Derricka and Natalie in that they have full-time jobs. They are full-time, they have two full-time jobs. They're full-time mothers and they have full-time working jobs, nine to fives that pay them in addition to this uh, work that they do on the foundation. Um, at the end of the foundation, what we what they say to each other is that we really want to do this thing full time. And the prayer is that they are able to quit their full time jobs to do this work full time. Um, I think if I'm missing, if I know it correctly, I think Derricka, Derricka is a former police officer. She worked in um, she was an officer in the DMV. I forgot what little township or, or county not Little Township, but I forgot what county where she was a police officer, but she was a police officer for many years, I think 20 years, and then she retired. Um, I don't know, don't get me to line, but they have former police officers um, from the DMV who are supporting them, and I don't know if it's them, one of them, or just people that are supporting them, but the point is that they do have folks that have law enforcement background as a way to help educate uh, these family members and provide resources to help these family members uh, look for their loved ones. And so throughout this four episode series, they talk about specific cases. One in particular of a brother who lost his sister and had been looking for seeking justice on behalf of his sister and his mother um, and himself and the, and the entire family who's missing her for 13 years. And they start telling his case. They start telling his case in the very beginning and talking about how much of an advocate he is and how much of a, if you see him on the scene, you already know what it is. You already know what it is. You better start answering the questions. Or, and if you don't answer the question, it's not like he's going to go away, baby. So you might as well, because he's an advocate. He's like an advocate's advocate. That's what we kind of describe him um, as. But he, while he's being an advocate's advocate, he's also been 
advocating on behalf of his family for 13 years, trying to get some answers and justice, answers to what happened to his sister, where his sister's, uh, well, what happened to his sister and bring whomever needs to be brought to justice to justice. Now they say in the very beginning that there's a person of interest. Certainly the police had a person of interest, but for 13 years they were not able to do anything. Um, about the case as this uh, as this um, series began. And so throughout the series, we learn more about the case pieces bit by bit, episode by episode. We learn more about the case. And then there is something shocking that happens in the fourth episode that I won't even spoil because you really do need to see it because. Yeah. And and remember what I said in the preamble in the in the first 45 minutes of this thing. I don't even know how long the show is at this point, but remember what I said in the very beginning that half of these missing and murdered in this episode, I'm saying missing and murdered. And I apologize for saying that sometimes not every one of these cases ends with the demise of the person that's missing. Some of them do. And so there is one example of a case of an aunt out of the Carolinas. I can't remember what city it is, but She's in the PR and her little, her young black niece. Um, I think she's, she's, I think this woman is either, she's white presenting. And I don't know if she's biracial, uh, she's black. <clears throat> she has black ancestry or if she has Latin ancestry, uh, but she's white presenting. How about that? And anyway, but her niece is black. And she said, you know, she was tearful, but she described her search, her quest on behalf of the family to find her niece and what happened, what, what happened to her niece and who's responsible for it. And that took a couple of years. So there's a trend here. Um, there are some police officers that interview uh, for this docu-series that talk about some of the statistics and, and things like that. There are some folks on there that you will be upset to see them on there and the, and how they just, I certainly was upset by some of the things that they were saying in the documentary, but it's real. It's important that we hear from folks who we, we hear a total package of how folks can do, how police can do, you know, sometimes how they think, but then we also see detectives who've made it their life's mission to be really good at their job and to really, really find some folk. And so let's be a hundred percent clear. There is a big fat spotlight. This docu-series, all of the stories, there are some good stories. There are some, no, not good stories. There are some stories of loved ones who found, who were able to, who, who were able to find their loved one who was missing. There was even a story of a young, of a woman who was kidnapped many, 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 many years ago who was able to locate her family. You need to watch that too. That conclusion of that episode, that her story is introduced and concluded in the fourth um, episode, but there's a whole lot of, uh, that happens between the first and the fourth episode about a number of different cases. We do hear the highs and the lows, but here's the thing. When someone, especially remember, I brought up the fact that human trafficking is a thing. And even though sometimes he, human trafficking can uh, and doesn't always have to include sex, a forced sex work. What we know is that typically it does include forced sex work. And so while some, the 
ultimate outcome is that if your loved one goes missing, that you get your loved one back in one piece. The one piece part can get kind of tricky because you don't know what happened to your loved one while they were missing. And these people weren't playing patty cake. Their kidnappers weren't playing patty cake with them, if I can just be so blunt. And so what this documentary is also doing is shedding the light on the trauma not just to mention the trauma and growing up in communities where crime is at an all-time high because there are economic disparities that the leaders in, in a position to do something about it just won't do anything about it. Let's be clear. It's not the people's fault. Personal responsibility has its place. But if you literally don't have options, you can appreciate how a person would result to some devious ways to make ends if there's nothing else for them, if there's other opportunities are, are not available to them. And I cannot believe that people don't understand this, but that, I'm not talking about economic disparities. I'm talking about the fact that in these black and brown communities where there are majority poor people, the rates of crime are high and it's usually high against them. And the police who are sworn to protect these communities don't always do the best job of that. And what I love about this documentary is that it calls the DCPD and the BCPD to task. DC police force and the, and the, BC, and the Baltimore City police force to task, baby. Because there are two very high profile cases, actually three. High profile cases where there are some police officers that loused up, that lasted up from jump loused up the case from jump. There's this one that I think everybody knows of this missing child. Cause, oh, in that, in that case, in that case, it wasn't, it's, it's calling DCPD to task. It's also calling shoe child protective service, DC child protective services to task. It's calling the shelter system in part and to task. It's like, that's just calling everybody up to the stage to stand in, under the spotlight in, that DC, in D.C. on that particular case. And that's what I love about this. What I love about this, this documentary is that it's calling it out. It's, it's calling it all out because it's not just one thing. When these black and brown people go missing, it's not just one failure. It's a series of failures. It's a series of failures that is leading to this. And you've got a family sitting here talking about what's going what's gonna to give. I want my person back. I want them back. I want them in one piece. What y'all got on? How y'all helping me? How are you truly helping me? And what we end up finding is in many cases, and this downright, there's a family, there's one particular family. It's pitiful as all get out. And I was trying to gauge exactly where they were because one of the things that you don't, they don't really tell you, and rightly so, in the documentary is exactly where these these neighborhoods where these people, where the, the abduction took place, where this last person was seen, they don't really tell you exactly where they are, but if you're, if you're a native to the area, if you're a native of DC, um, or actually not, if, not even if you're a native of DC or a native of Baltimore, if you live on that side of town, you may be familiar with where they're talking about. And so in some of the cases that were in Baltimore, I was trying to determine exactly where they were from because let's be real, we know where the poorer communities tend to be in D.C. and Baltimore. We know where they are for the most part. For the, I don't know D.C. as much as, as good as I know, as well as I know Baltimore. I know that a lot of the poor communities in Baltimore are on the southeast. Well, no, excuse me, just east. Just east. Southeast is rich. 
Um, unless you're talking about true South, in which case that's not, but the rich people are trying to take it over. Um, and then to the West. In D.C., it's the Southeast. But that rich people are trying to take that over too. Gentrification. When I'm saying rich people, I'm also mentioning what I really mean to say is gentrification um, is creeping into those communities. Um, but that's how I do. That's how it happens, right? Anyway, um, but yeah, so I couldn't really make out, I definitely couldn't make out the neighborhoods that they were talking about in D.C. Um, but I came pretty close to trying to work out where the neighborhoods that they were talking about in Baltimore. And sure enough, they're the one neighborhood that I think I could pick out. That's Southeast all day. There, excuse me, that's East. That's East. And slight, actually, okay, so the way Baltimore works is Canton is Southeast and it has a huge gravitational pull, but outside of that Southeast neighborhood, it's not, it's, 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 um, mid, it's mixed income, but it's more so low income. Um, so think Eastern Avenue toward Dundalk, um, yeah, straight east, so along North Avenue, um, just before you get to Broadway. Yeah, just before you get to Broadway, it's not all the way great, although that the closer you get to Hopkins um, Hospital, the neighborhoods become a little bit mixed, more mixed income, which is a little bit little high income, but not by much. If you know Baltimore, you know Baltimore. And if you, you know, you can kind of get the sense. But even if you pull Baltimore up on the map and you don't know a thing about Baltimore, just know. It's the east, neighborhoods to the east, and some of the neighbor, many of the neighborhoods in the southeast are very poor. And many of the neighborhoods on the west, definitely the southwest, but many of the neighborhoods on the west um, are low income as well, with some pockets of high income or mixed income because of their proximity to, you know, University of Maryland, um, things like that, the, the stadium even, things like that, right? Um, but that's Baltimore. And that's not super, too super different from the communities in, um, in and around DC. You know, there's a lot of money in DC and there's an extreme amount of poverty in DC too. And so the neighborhoods are kind of similar in that way. Um, but anyway, I, if you're from these areas or you're familiar with these areas, you can probably pinpoint where these communities are and you're probably not surprised. But the, the, I guess, but pulling back just a little bit, in each one of these cases, it is a systemic failure that doesn't end and begin at the family just not really taking too much care about them. One in particular, one family in particular, I know a lot of people across socioeconomic backgrounds can identify They're this particular loved one who goes missing was going through it emotionally. They had lost their mother years ago and as a teenager, and they were experiencing depression and anxiety and probably um, hadn't really gone to any significant grief counseling in order to cope with the loss of, a, of their, they have a, they have a, a step parent but this person's biological parent and their absence really did a number on them because they had another biological parent that was missing from the picture. So this death of their one biological parent, 
that always had their back, that was always in their corner, really messed them up. And so they really, it was clear that they were dealing with trauma and, and, and grief and they needed some support, but they just weren't able to get that support. And then this person went missing. And, and the, their story, that made my stomach drop, the story, because the, of the circumstance under which they went missing, that made my, I mean, my heart dropped to my stomach. And it, as it will yours, because woof. It, I never would have dreamed something like this. And this was, a, this was a case out of Baltimore. And this was a prime example of systemic failures, step by freaking step in the BCPD. And it's what it is. It's what it is. Like, and anyway, there's some, you just have to go watch these, watch this documentary. You do need to be in a a spiritual and emotional space to watch these things. So just prepare for that. It's not for the faint at heart because all of these stories don't end well. And even the stories that quote unquote end well with their loved one back. Again, I say these people that snatch these, these young people, people, in many cases, it's young women, young girls, actually, excuse me, young girls. We know that human traffickers love to take young girls. And even, um, I can't remember if it was, um, Derek or Natalie, but one of them was, one of them was talking to their young daughter who can't be more than 10 at the time of the documentary, 10 or 11. And the young, the, 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 the 10 or 11 year old was talking about how there was a grown man talking to her and her friends, trying to get them to record something for them, trying to get them to go with him so that they could make videos. A grown man, they, these children knew that he was a grown man. This grown man knew that these were children talking about getting these kids that he did not know on video. These little girls that he did not know, putting them on video. What? These are, these are predators. These are, these are predators just walking around amongst us. These, ch- these children don't know no better, except for, the, uh, it was, again, it was either Derricka or um, Natalie. They child did. She told her mama instantly. She told, she told her friends not to go, go on ahead with that. She told a man go on ahead with that or something to that effect and got her friends away from it and, t- and it immediately told adults because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And those adults are supposed to then go to task, which is what, you know, these turned around and and told the authorities and things like that. And you hope that something will come of that. But my fear is that this sort of thing happens every day. And again, you putting a camera in a kid's face, that doesn't always automatically turn them off or peep them to, you know, make their alarm bells go off. Not all, not automatically, not unless we're teaching them that. And thank God that, again, either Derek or Natalie's child was knew better, but not everybody do. No, not everybody's child do, because quite frankly, we are living in this la-la land. And, and not even that we're living in la-la land, but that we need to face this reality that we need to talk to our children. And often, including our black and brown kids, whose families are just trying to make ends meet. Go get your niece. Go talk to your nephew. Go talk to your lady and say, hey, listen, because let's, I, said in that doc, I said in that episode, they are literally taking little black girls, little black boys, and little queer kids. 12 is when they start. They take any range between 12 and 18, but 12 
is when they, 11 or 12 is when they start snatching. And we have a case of somebody who was 16 that was snatched. And again, that story, go watch it. Go watch it in the docuseries. But I just appreciate this thing for doing like a million, like killing three birds with one stone. Number one, it's amplifying the very important work that this nonprofit is doing. Black and Missing Foundation, Inc. Um, is, uh, Black and Missing Foundation is doing, number one, on a major platform like HBO. Number two, it's exposing the, the, the failures of the police departments and in some cases the shelter, the housing authority and um, the uh, other entities that are meant to protect our kids. I mean, this one particular case is the school, it's, it's child protective uh, services, it's the shelter system, it's the, the police department, it's, the, it's, it's just taken out a bunch, it's exposing, this particular case is exposing a lot of different departments, a lot of different entities, but they need to be exposed. They need to be exposed. BCPD is not having a great... BCPD is not having a great two weeks, I'll say this, because not only were they taken to task in many ways, but not the point. Because again, what I love is that it's, it's focusing on the foundation. It's also focusing, elevating the, the, reminding all of us that we need to pay attention to all our missing people, not just some missing people, but all of them. And specifically understanding that black and brown kids are, are being taken, black and brown people are being taken at a very high number. And we need just we need we need to find these people, but we also need to make it so that that's not so easily done anymore. And the other thing is it's doing is that it's exposing these these um, entities that are supposed to be providing protection, which leads me to my point that I was about to make a minute ago, which is BCPD is not having a really great net two weeks or so because Black and um, Missing came out and was just letting it all hang out about BCPD and DCPD. Right. And now I heard um, I saw a post from D. Watkins on um, social that HBO is uh, releasing another documentary where it's talking about the Sean, Sean Suter case. And it's just letting it all hang out about some of the corruption that's going on or that exists or did exist, perhaps um, in BCPD in and around the time that uh, Sean Suter um, lost his life. And if you don't remember the case about Sean Suter, just know Sean Suter had a lot to do with that gun track and trace uh, case that they were making against all of those uh, former police officers. Just know that there's a whole HBO is doing a whole mini series uh, based on the work of Justin Fenton um, and his book. We own this city. They're doing a document. They're doing a, a, a series about that and it's starring John Berthanol or whatever his name is, the guy that, that played uh, Punisher. Um, it was in a bunch of other stuff <clears throat> there. Uh, he's playing, uh, the white guy from, um, we own the city that poli- the white police officer that was from, from Dundalk, from what they say, Dundalk, uh, from Dundalk, just corrupt as all get out, just getting, getting in, get, just getting money. However, being corrupt, however, anyway, so 
BCPD is not really is is kind of going through a, uh, uh, from a PR perspective. I mean, these next couple of weeks, it's not going to be a nice time. Not to mention the fact that the crime rate is super high right now. Spotlight is on Harrison and, and Mayor Scott. Um, if you haven't heard, um, November 16th, a little old lady lost her life opening up the church for some service workers um, at Southern Baptist Church. Somebody robbed her and robbed her of her life. She was like 70 something. Robbed her and robbed her of, at, of her life at the church doorstep. And then my church and churches across the, the city and the county were going into panic mode. Don't know, you, you know, if you're a woman. Don't it, it, anyway, they were just coming up with stuff because we were all scared. Like, and while I was frustrated at the news that th- there's these reactive, um, I, I'm an active member in my church, and there was some reactive uh instructions that came across um from the leadership. And while I was furious about the instructions, because I'm like, what do you do? We need an overhaul automatically like we need to not be so doggone naive just because nothing has happened to us doesn't mean that nothing could let us be more proactive and let us put better systems in place not let's not be let's not be fools but let's not also like turn into something like a police let's not let's not overdo it overdo it let's let's just put some protections in place so that we can always understand what's happening who's coming in what's going out and that everyone is protected, not just little old ladies. Everyone deserves protection. But I, again, I understand where that came from. That place came from a place of, I hate that this horrible thing happened to this little old lady who was just trying to help. And some trifling person decided that they were going to take her life, not only take her stuff, but take her life. And so anyway, so, you know, we get a notification, um, the time I'm recording this, uh, we get a notification that someone has been arrested in connection with that, with that, um, her life, her, the, her, uh, murder. And there's going to be a press conference later today and all of that stuff, um, about it with Mayor Scott and, and, and commission, uh, police commissioner Harrison. And I'm like, great. I'm glad that that happened. But what about all these missing people? What are you doing for your jurisdiction in your jurisdictions and your in your precincts to make sure that your officers are are working just as hard, just as hard as you work to find the the culprit in in her um, murder? What are you doing to make sure that you are making your your districts, your district officers are working hard as hard? That's what I want to see. It's not good enough for me. I appreciate that there was justice for that family, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough. There needs to be a total overhaul, and I'm tired of the governor. Ooh, I'm going on a political rant. But I didn't mean to go this far, but I, the last thing that I'll say is that I'm tired of Governor Hogan, who's clearly trying to run for um, uh, president, clearly trying to position himself to run for president, is talking about we got to send more money down here to the police. You know what you need to do? You need to stop killing the red line. You killed the freaking red line, and now that we, we need more, we, which would have put a train line, which would have put in, improved our transportation so that people who can't get to jobs around in and around Baltimore City because they don't have proper transportation can finally take the train or something like that to get out to the county where the jobs are, but they don't have no car and they don't have adequate transportation to get back to and fro. But you killed that. But now all of a sudden you want to put some emphasis on Baltimore because you want to run. You want to run for office. He, he's not low. He ain't low. 
Anyway, ooh, so trifling. Don't believe the hype. If y'all are watching, under the sound of my voice, if you are watching him on any platform and CNN platforms him one more time, one more time, to get to help him get on here and talk about this nonsense, ooh, he trifling. Anyway, um, ooh, anyway, that's been on my heart for a minute because I'm just watching it unfold. I'm watching it unfold. You keep pouring money into BCPD. When you keep pouring money into, girl, look at the money. What what all the good criminal investigation um, reporters say? Follow the money. Follow the money. You're putting all this money into BCPD. You're just essentially fattening their, what are you doing? We're not safer. We're not safer. You know what you need to do? Invest in the community. How about you pour some of that money into the community itself? How about you bring, you pour, invest in some of these out-of-school time programs? How about you invest some money into these um, job readiness programs? How about you improve our freaking transportation so that we can have more lines of, of uh, coming in and out of the city? Actual trains. Can we make our train a freaking, what, what do you call it, an L? Right now, the train that you, that you just heard come back past, the light rail only goes north and south. And the subway only goes a few places. It's wild. It's dumb. I just happen to be living on the train line. But if you don't live in East Baltimore or this isn't even East Baltimore, this is downtown. If you're not downtown, kind of center city, what do we do? You get trying to get on the bus as best you can. Are you hacking? Anyway, I just appreciate I got well off the tangent, but it's part of the point. It's part of the point, actually. We have a police force that needs to be called to task. I'm not just saying here in Baltimore. It's in D.C. as well. We also have systemic economic disparities and system failures at every turn that need to be improved for our communities. And so while Black and Missing in this documentary is really focusing on the great work that Derricka and Natalie are doing and their foundation, it's also exposing it's also exposing major failings in our systems that are supposed to be there for us that our taxpayer dollars go to. Anyhow, I just got real into it, so I'm gonna let it down because I've been talking for a while. I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it go. Um, but what I know is that this is not unique to the DMV in Baltimore area. This is not unique to the United States. That in any black and brown community across the globe, I'm sure people are fighting the same doggone fight and it's, it's pitiful at this point. But I'm glad for the exposure. I'm glad for the heat for my little old city and for those cases in the DMV area in Baltimore. I'm proud of that. I'm proud that there's this heat because with heat, Hopefully, some change happens. I'm being hopeful. And that's how I'm in this episode. But go watch Black and Missing. It's very important. Um, look out for that documentary that I was mentioning. I cannot remember the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but it comes out December 7th. I'm definitely going to be talking about it next episode if I can possibly help it. Um, and yeah, so... Sorry this this wasn't a happy, fun episode, but it was on my heart because some of these families are not having a happy, fun time trying to find their loved one, trying to find justice for their loved one. Some of them are declaring their loved one's dead and still don't have justice. So anyway, I'll put... Anyway, I'll let this go. I appreciate y'all. If this wasn't a fun episode, I have several other episodes that are fun. You should just go through my 
uh, episode catalog and find something that's fun. Um, I can't even think of a fun episode, but I'm sure you'll find it. But I hope you, in spite of all of this, even though I'm fired up, I do hope you have a great day. Um, if you are listening to me for the first time, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Um, keep coming back. If you felt feel so inclined, leave me a positive rating and four, four or five sto- stars. Um, if you leave me a positive review, I will read it as well. I appreciate you. Share this. If you don't feel like doing any of those things, sharing this is, is help enough, right? At the end of the day, you're just sharing it with somebody else to help get other ears onto this podcast, to help keeping me do, just help me spread the reach of this thing to help keeping me do what I enjoy doing because this is my hobby. All right. So I hope you have a wonderful day. Please take care of yourself. If you're not having a great day, please take care of yourself. Take your booster shot. Take your flu shot. Take care of yourself. Um, Support your family. Support your friends that support your friends and family that support you. Um, Walk away from situations that are toxic to you. You don't deserve that. Um, Be kind to yourself. You don't deserve to treat yourself bad. Um, Put one foot in front of the other because that's all we can do. All right. Take care.